Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and I live in a neighborhood, not a residential district. And I'm Jules, designated mayor of South Park, not the cartoon, our neighborhood. Thought Kuka was designated mayor of South Park. She's the canine mayor of South Park. Fair, fine. I'm the human mayor of South Park. Fine. I believe it. I voted for you. So it's time for a reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. Jules, what are you cheersing and jeersing this episode? Uh, This week, I am cheersing the fact that I am headed out to Scotland for two weeks for a cousin's wedding. So by the time this podcast airs, I will be on the Fair Isle of Harris in Scotland. So cheers to that. Yeah, cheers to that. That sounds delightful, Mm -hmm. and I am super jealous. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. But my jeers goes to the fucking airlines. British Airways, this one goes out to you for charging me $1,000 for an economy seat, which I then also had to pay to select the actual seat I want to sit in so that Rob and I can sit together on the flight. So, jeers to that shit. This podcast is not sponsored by British Airways. (laughs) (laughs) So, Drea, what are you cheersing to this week? So, my cheers and jeers are very sad in comparison to yours. There's not a whole lot going on these days. So uh, oh, you're not going to Scotland for two weeks? I, I wish I was. I may, you know, if you open your suitcase when you get there and my little head pops out, I wouldn't be alarmed. Uh, so my cheers this week is to carnitas. Oh, yes. Yeah. So carnitas, for those of you who may not know, are roasted, slow roasted shredded pork that you make into all things delightful, but mostly tacos. And my mom and dad were down in San Diego and brought three pounds of carnitas from their local carniceria. And we had our very first two great girls in a great family dinner. And it was delicious. It was so much fun. Um, we had a great time. We had good wine, except for my jeers for this week. Yes. Which is the bottle of corked rosé that we opened and then we're very sad about. And for our listeners who thought this would never happen, it was actually poured down the sink. Wah, wah. Proving, though, that we will actually not drink anything. Yes, we do have taste. Some standards. Standards. Since I'm the new co-host, I've decided to make some changes around here, and we're calling it Shawinigans. I mean, that is a good change. I'm not opposed to it. I'm actually really impressed and kind of want a t-shirt. I think we could do a Shawinigans t-shirt. I think so. I think I think our viewers would be into that. Oh wait, we are not on we're, TV. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah not. no, our listeners would we be. We might someday. Maybe put, put I, it on the vision board. I, <laughs> <laughs> let me put it. Let me put it in my notebook. <laughs> what color pen are you going to use for that? Um, green. Green is the episode pen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so for for those of you that can't see us, obviously, Andrea has a um, a collection of colored pens that she uses in her in her moleskin notebook my entire life is color-coded yes and i I like it yeah i mean it's not very shawine again it's a little dorky but it's a little more push up the glasses you know you've got you gotta do something while you're waiting for your next bottle of wine (laughs) it can take it it can take time to open a bottle of wine as we know 
So okay, Schweinigan. So we thought that for this episode, since we are featuring a San Diego wine, local wine, and focusing on a winemaker from our actual neighborhood, that we could talk a little bit about our own San Diego Schweinigans slash shenanigans. Um, both of us are transplants from other places. So I'm from Los Angeles, which is not too far away geographically, but it is a world away culturally in many ways. And Jules is from Scotland, Brazil, Philadelphia, Chicago, <laughs> girl gets around. Um, but at this point, we've both lived in San Diego for some time. I've been here for 15 years now. How long have you been here? We've been here since 2008. Okay, 2000. I'm not good at the maths. Uh, you're 13? 13 years. 13 yeah. years, yeah. Yeah, lucky 13. There you go. Oh, 13th is the day of my birthday. Oh, it hey. is lucky. Look at that. So we've both lived here for over a decade. And in that time, well, you've already discovered Jules has become mayor of South Park. But we've really both developed our own traditions and habits and likes and dislikes. So we thought that we could relive some of our favorite San Diego shenanigans. Yeah, shawinigans. Shawinigans. I mean, they're probably all wine related, let's be honest. There's probably, yes, definitely some wine-related again. <laughs> but we also th thought that this might be fun for people who may be listening to the podcast who might be coming to visit San Diego and Summertime's maybe looking for coming. some things to do. Yeah. So take your notes. Get your colored pens out, people. <laughs> green. The green pen. Okay, green. <laughs> okay, so Jules, when did you move here and why? Uh, so I, I just mentioned that we moved here in 2008. And we moved here from Chicago. And why? I mean, the weather. Come on. Yeah. I the mean, fuck. that's... I mean, literally the last winter in Chicago, I was like, I am not doing this again. We are moving and we're going west. I have a colleague who I work with who's based in Chicago. And every time I am on a call with her, she starts <laughs> the discussion with, have I told you that I hate it here? I hate it. I hate it here. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, Chicago's got a lot going for it, right? It There's does. A ton of it culture. Does. The food it's a great is amazing. City. Architecturally, it's fascinating. Cocktail but, scene's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Great to visit. Awesome place to visit. It was just not the place for me. I don't want to be live. there in January. No. I don't. No. Okay. But also summer is 100 degrees with 100% humidity. Yeah. So there's a disgusting. very narrow window of time where Chicago has this like beautiful weather that we get here in San Diego. So. Oh, like yeah. the 70 degrees day that we're having right now? Yes. It's yeah. gorgeous. It's pretty nice. For all our listeners in the Midwest. <laughs> or the Northeast, you know. Or where, really anywhere outside where, of San Diego. Wherever you're currently at being miserable. <laughs> Have some wine. You'll feel better. Uh, why did you move here? And when? So I moved here in 2006 to go to graduate school. Okay. Uh, I had just finished my master's degree at the University of Arizona in Tucson. I could not wait to get out of the desert because it was bone dry and sucking my soul out of my body on the daily. I, it did give me one thing, though. It talk, taught me how to be a true wino. Okay. <laughs> so, but so that's where the love of wine started. To well, it was more of a necessity at that point. But um, yeah, when I came back to California, I was very excited to be back. Uh, I had lived in I'm from LA, I'd lived in the Bay Area. So San Diego was kind of the next uh, California big city to live in. And I did my PhD at UCSD and ended up 
getting a job here. So out of all the people I went to graduate school with, many of who wanted to, to stay, I was one of three, I think, that stuck around. So, I mean, there are worse places to be for sure. So through all of that, now our listeners know that you're real smart. She's a smart one on the podcast, guys. I, just... I bring the thunder <laughs> and some of the shawinigans. As does Drea, but she also then brings the, you know, the nerd emoji with the glasses. I mean, I also just couldn't figure out how to start a recording in GarageBand. <laughs> so, like, let's not go too far here. <laughs> okay, where is the local spot you get in the most trouble? Oh, there have been so many. There have been so many. I, I'm going to go with an oldie but goodie um, from my grad school days. So... At the time, I lived in La Jolla, and I lived right across the street from, like, a restaurant area mm -hmm. that had a Trulux oh, and a Fleming's. Yeah. And between those two places, I would hold happy hour, like, court every Wednesday for, like, five years. Mayor of Trulux. Mayor of Trulux. And Fleming's. And my drink was always a Manhattan I may have stumbled into a bush on the way home across the street <laughs> more than once. But, um, yeah, those were good times. Those were good times. That was my hangout for a long, long time. Wow. I don't think I've ever been to either one of those places. Are they even open still in the Hoya? Uh, I think so. But pro tip, Fleming's has a really good happy hour burger. Okay. And Trulux has their happy hour. I haven't been in years, but when I was going, this is one of the reasons I would go is their entire bar menu is 50% off, including liquor. Okay, so uh, road trip alert. Yeah, clearly. We might, and by the <laughs> it's like, you know, 20 minutes away. It's not that far, but yeah. But it's, one of our husbands is definitely dropping us off and picking us up. Yes, yeah. or Uber. It's, yeah. We, we have enough dogs now. We could probably do a dog sled situation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about you? Where is your... Um, local spot where you get in the most trouble <laughs> I, I would say there's two so on the classy side of things there's the rose our we I think it's been mentioned multiple times on this podcast but that's like that's like our home away from home we it don't is. we don't so, cause a ruckus there though but I get into trouble there because I go for I'll go for one glass of wine and then hours later and you know a hundred dollar bill I'm like oh how did that happen? And it turned into a bottle that turned into a cocktail. And then, you know, oh, well, we might as well eat dinner here because this now is, I'm not going to go home and cook. This is now the podcast where we lie to ourselves. Yeah, I've never <laughs> been there and have just one glass. <laughs> I have. It has happened, but not often. I don't believe you, but okay. And then I would say on the um, opposite end of the spectrum would be the whistle stop. Fair. Which is our local dive bar here in our neighborhood of South Park, San Diego. And it's a kind of place where you would find me dancing on the speakers, gonna need a Mexican Coke in a glass bottle the next day kind of night. And the best night to go is they have an 80s versus 90s like DJ off where one DJ plays all 80s music and then the next DJ plays all 90s music. And it's my fucking jam. <laughs> And I am there till the lights come on, and then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> you're like, well, then. Nothing good is going to happen tomorrow but a Mexican Coke. You know, that's still something good. That's still something good. Yes. 
Okay, so um, here's a nice revealing one for our readers. God damn it. Here's a nice revealing one for our listeners. Blooper <laughs> <laughs> real. Blooper <laughs> real. Uh, what is the most... <laughs> I think a ghost just came into our house. <laughs> <laughs> stab, stab, stab. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm reading um, the final girl support group. Right now, have you heard of this book? It's all these girls who were the last survivor of a like of a mass murder, like a Jason Friday the Thirteenth style thing. Um, And is it funny? Kind of, yeah. It's it's what's her name? Is it Grady Hendrix? She did like the Southern Vampire Southern book. Here's a good one to have our listeners get to know us real well. What is the most wine drunk you have ever been in San Diego. <laughs> You're like, last night. <laughs> Honestly, it really, I'm going to say it's my house. Yeah. My backyard, sure. you know, is just very conducive to like sitting around, sipping cocktails, drinking wine. But we host Friendsgiving every year and it always starts with a cocktail. Usually something with bourbon, like a bourbony type cocktail. Or something with champagne in it, like a French 75. So you've got gin and champagne. Yeah, why not? So we start off that way, and then there's copious amounts of wine, and then I put myself to bed. I kick everybody out, and I'm like, okay, it's time to go (laughs) night-night. It is now 8.30. Good evening. It's 7.30 p.m. (laughs) Get out. We're done. Um. Same. So we love a backyard hang. We love a front deck hang. Uh, And prior to the pandemic, we used to host a Memorial Day weekend party every year called Smutty Slummer. Oh, my God. And I I love a theme. I love a commitment to a theme. So it would be a themed menu. And there would be like three mains. So one year, like we did different style, like hot dogs, sausage things. We did... um, grilled cheeses we did tacos one year and each each thing has a cocktail pairing that i do in like punch bowls because yes i own Mm -hmm. multiple punch bowls and then the wine comes out like when that supply has been depleted Mm -hmm. then the wine comes out and you pull this wine out from under your bed I don't keep or it under my bed. Okay. <laughs> that's that's Anne. Okay. <laughs> that Hi is the Anne. former. Hi, Anne. <laughs> Her legacy lives on. Um, I For that party, because I know it's going to be a shit show, I do a huge, like, Trader Joe's run. And I just stock up on, like, rosé and bubbles, you know, stuff like that. They're not going to know. They drank a no. shit ton of tequila and bourbon. I'm not going to But also, Trader Joe's does have some solid options. Oh, yeah, so, for sure. you know, future episode alert, we will be doing some sort of a Trader Joe's supermarket, supermarket sweep. sweep type thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so we both like to get drunk at home a lot. Great. <laughs> accurate. Um, so, if you were hosting someone visiting San Diego and you would want to take them somewhere to sort of, like, get them into trouble with wine where would you go 
I would start at the rose. I mean, in our nature, uh, obviously, that is it would shout be, out to the rose. It would be sacrilege to not take them there, and I always want to take people there because mm-hmm. their cocktails are good, their food's good, their wine's great, um, and the people are awesome. Yeah, and the owners and everyone who works there are amazing. I'm a huge fan of Clo uh, here in San Diego as well. They have a great natural wine selection. Um, the owners, Jerry and Paul, are awesome. Really good, solid price points and a super cute deck that you can sit out on. Um, and honestly, if we're going to get into some real fucking trouble, we're driving down to Valle de Guadalupe. Oh, you I know? didn't even think about that. I was really thinking like, okay, if, I, if we have to Uber somewhere, but yeah, the Valle is pretty awesome right like if you've got someone who's coming in for a week and you actually just... everybody the valle sucks don't go there <laughs> it's getting kind of overrun it is getting the, yeah the I... crowd and the prices are going crazy so yeah nobody wants to the go price, there. yeah the prices are insane right now and um i've definitely have seen more like bachelorette party yes. situations happening there mm-hmm. which is kind of pissing me off we don't like that we don't. We've... Sorry, no offense, Bachelorette. See our wine etiquette episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Refer to. Refer to. Appendix A. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I would I would take them to the... I would also take them to, like, Vino Carta in Little Italy. Mm-hmm. Some solid selections. I love that you can take your own food. Like, you can take your own picnic type thing. Yeah. yeah. Or grab a Italian sub at Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. That's my one of my favorite activities oh, yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, there's there's going to be wine everywhere. And that's the cool thing about San Diego is I think that they've really embraced um, the natural wine scene a lot and the wine scene in general. So you're getting a lot more people who are really exploring different wines and experimenting with different um, flavors. So you can get beyond just like your Chardonnay Standard, and your Pinot yeah. Noir, um, even in a lot of the, you know, local independently owned eateries and stuff, which is nice. Yeah. How about you? Where are you taking them? I mean, definitely the Rose. I feel like, man, the Rose should be sponsoring this episode because we've mentioned the Rose at least 50 We can't times help already. ourselves. Uh, and then my other one was Vino Carta. Yeah. Because also you're in this area of town called Little Italy, so there's great restaurants around. Tons of food. There's also a couple of tasting rooms um, right along that same street along India. Um, I think like Polly Wines is there. Yep. Uh, and then there, there's another one. I'm forgetting the name of it, but Vino Carta is like a pretty good jumping off point for some other stuff, some other Schweinigans Schwein. that you can get into down there. <laughs> yep. And it's just a quick Uber ride to really anywhere From else here, in the city. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And after you've had all this trouble and you've had all this wine, what are you eating on a San Diego sidewalk? Oh my gosh. This <laughs> is hands down so easy for me. So there's a taco truck called Tacos La Mescla. <laughs> And the owner, Francisco, I've known him for years. He started out here in South Park across from the Whistle Stop. And we'd go to Whistle Stop on a Friday night and go across the street and pick up tacos from him. He has the best carnitas tacos. He makes amazing, a super amazing spicy salsa. um, Or like, you know, sort of like hot sauce Mm -hmm. for the tacos. And he uses his mom's recipe for the carnitas and the pozole which are both amazing. Ooh, the pozole. The pozole is really good. So tacos la masca, for sure. Nice. On a go with the other uh, guilty pleasure food, pizza. Oh. Mm. So I'm getting something from Blind Lady. 
uh, pizza. They are more of a beer place, um, but... They do have some wine. Belgian, I think it's all Belgian beers. Yeah, Belgian-style yeah. beers. Um, but their pizza is delicious. They mm-hmm. have lots of options, um, including vegan pizzas, which is why I'm so Don't familiar. Because I used to go with <laughs> <laughs> And um, their Belgian frites are fucking delicious. And after... Oh, I could get in some trouble with some, with some Belgian the, frites. Yeah. yeah, I mean, after a ton of drinking... I want papitas. Mm-hmm. I want so fries. Yep, up, yeah. 100%. <laughs> so there you have it. You have a good list of some places to go, mainly the Rose. Yeah, and <laughs> where you're probably going to see at least one of us at yes. any given time. So if you're ever in San Diego, now you know all the places to hit up for a good time. And Enjoy. also you can always DM us and ask us if you have any questions. Oh, yeah, do that too. We're Slide into happy. those DMs. We're always happy to tell you where to go. maybe so since we're really focusing on some local fun this episode we have selected an amazing bottle from local san diego producer charlie and echo and jules had this great idea that we should do kind of like a mini lateral so we're going to taste their dark star 2019 and 2020 vintage side-by-side today. So a couple weeks ago, uh, myself, Jules, and our significant others uh, went out to the Charlie and Echo tasting room and did a full tasting, got to meet the owner. Uh, It was a pretty rad two girls and a grape field trip. So you are all now getting the benefits of that. And the bottles that we're drinking today, the price point for each of them is about $25 per bottle. Uh, They're a San Diego-based winery, and this particular uh, varietal, the Dark Star, is a sparkling red, which is really... Bubbles! Tiny, tiny little bubbles. Um, And this one's cool because, to me, it's somewhere between a carbonic and a pet nat. So it does um, have kind of that, that pet nat background but it runs really clean i think it's got a nice crispness you don't get necessarily all the funk that you would on the back end of some um pet gnats but you definitely want to serve this baby chilled on a spring evening when you still want to red but are feeling the temperatures just start to warm up a little bit so we are very excited to be sharing this bottle and i am very excited for our new segment Fun facts with Jules. And Jules, you did some deep dive investigative reporting for this episode. I and I, mean, I love I it. I really did. I, I have fun with this segment because I think it's cool to just figure out, you know, more information about the wine or the winemaker or the region. Um, so I kind of go into a little deep dive of, you know, where is the wine from? Who are the people? So I definitely have some facts about the Dark Star and Charlie Neco in general. So I'll start with sort of a little bit about when Drea and I and our and our husbands went out to the tasting room. It's kind of in this sort of like industrial area. But I found out this actually called the Miralani Makers District. Oh. That little area that it's in. And when we were there, we were thinking, oh, there's other stuff here. So there was like a sushi um, a sushi restaurant. That ginger beer place. There's a ginger beer place. A brewery. Um, there's beer. Uh, sake. There was like a oh. sake tasting, which I didn't know. So How did I miss that? We're going to have to go back, right? 
Obviously. So, although it sounds like it might be somewhere in a Hawaiian island, Miralani Makers District, it's really just a short drive from our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, um, I thought that was really cool. Sort of like the actual location of the tasting room was interesting. They also do, as Dre and I discovered too late in the in the process of trying to buy this wine, you can actually pick up the wine at their house here in our neighborhood in South Park. So if you order it by a certain day of the week, you can pick it up at their house on the Thursday. Which so, I love. <laughs> which is nice. And yep. you don't have to make the drive out there or pay for shipping. So that's really cool. Um, they used to be called Vina Vanti. I don't know. Huh. Do you remember hearing about that? I, I was trying to think if I, I had like seen I that do, label like, before it somewhere. It sounds yeah. really familiar. And then they changed it to Charlie and Echo. And the Charlie, so the C and the Charlie and the E and the Echo are for the winemakers. So Clara and Eric are the two winemakers and their husband and wife team, which to me is fascinating because I would probably drown my husband in a vat of wine if I had to work with him. Girl, we barely got those two men out of the tasting room oh alive. It was, it was like, <laughs> guys, come on, drink up. Let's go. Let's we go. Gotta, we have stuff to do. Uh, okay. So this particular wine that we're drinking, the Dark Star was named based off of a John Carpenter film, a 1974 John Carpenter film called Dark Star. And it's about a spaceship that's carrying four astronauts that are sent to destroy unstable planets. So I was kind of thinking maybe Jeff Bezos should be on the next mission of the Dark Star. I was like, wait. And they're up there for 20 years. So yeah, bye. I was like, wait, are are we the unstable planet? I think we kind of are. I I think we might be. Um, So a couple other really cool facts about this you know winery in particular all of their labels have morse code on them oh i yes, didn't notice that with little messages embedded yeah so we're gonna have to check it out when we pull the bottles out i was like this is real I mean, my mind is like you know the little emoji <laughs> where the mind is like blowing i was like this is really cool um and then the logo also has morse code in the glass oh crazy like yeah so we'll have to look at that so the um he, I found out that the 2020 Dark Star Morse code says, my body flies the galaxy. That's what it translates to. Oh. <laughs> That's kind of sexy. shit. Yeah. Right? right? Um, so, and it's, if you do a search for that, my body flies a galaxy, it should take you to a link to a song from the movie Dark Star. So it's all, yeah. it's all coming together. This it's is all some deeply layered shit right here. Yes. Like, I am impressed at the intentionality of these winemakers. Yeah, so I thought that was a really cool, you know, little tidbit about the specific wine that we're drinking today. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, so I contacted the winemaker, and um, Eric is the one that got back to me. And he obviously listened to the podcast because he also told me that the wine that we're about to drink does have petite sirah on it. And if you listen to the previous episode, you know that I developed an allergy to petite sirah. So let's just see what kind of shit goes down. You might start hearing me sneeze. I might, you know. If you hear a thump on the it's floor. It's just me passing out. Not from too much wine, but just from maybe the petite sirah content. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. If she starts scratching. Yeah. So yeah, the Morse code thing was, I think, to me, the the most interesting fun fact about that wine. is really cool. Yeah. I love that. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to study that bottle way more when we pull it out for sure before I start drinking. Yes, very cool. So those are some fun tidbits, and and that's the type of stuff you really only find out through either deep deep 
research or a conversation with the winemaker, which I think is so great to have access to those. And, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but when you're out tasting, buying, um, doing a flight at the restaurant, whatever, ask questions, talk to your local wine folks. Um, you know, wine is so much about narrative. So the more you ask, the more you're going to learn and people love talking about it. So that's some cool stuff, but, uh, yeah, definitely they, with winemakers, especially they do, they love to talk about, this is their passion. This is mm-hmm. what they do. And they love to talk about it. And if you're genuinely interested in asking questions, you're not just being an asshole about it. Yeah. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. About just it. don't be an asshole. Refer to etiquette. <laughs> it's the appendix. They're, they're super happy to tell you about their process and you know, what motivates them or what drives them to, to make the wine the way they make it. And, mm-hmm. Um, maybe problems that they've had that then translate into discovering a new way to yeah to, to make the wine or you know that kind of stuff. So um, I do think I do get a little intimidated when I go wine tasting because I I feel like I don't sometimes know the right questions to ask, and that's really one of the reasons why I started listening to this podcast. is It's a good mix of like the fun stuff that I can laugh about, but you know, you do all this research and you bring all this really good sort of like academic information. I think, okay, I'm, I'm learning something, which then when I go and I taste wine, I feel like I have a little bit more knowledge and I'm not just sort of like this like asshole asking like just, so what's in the glass? What are the varietals? You're not an asshole. Those yeah, are legitimate so, questions. Yeah. I mean, I did just come at you today when I came over with like, did you know that there's flower wine? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Stay tuned for that episode. Wine made from flowers. Sounds so healthy. Hippie dippy. It's real hippie dippy. Summer of love episode. Ooh, there we go. Oh, I like it. Okay. Should we open up this wine? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So those are the fun facts about the Charlie and Echo Dark Star that we're tasting today. So, Drea, why don't you take us into the more sort of academic portion of the podcast and tell us about the wine tour the wine tour version yeah (laughs) so as we mentioned at the top of the episode um we picked this wine because it is in fact from san diego and uh jules told us a little bit about the husband and wife team clara and eric behind that And what's really cool about them is they are what we would consider an urban winery and so uh, we featured an urban wine, ooh, I think way back episode four or five from Donkey and Goat up in Berkeley, California. And just as a quick reminder, so an urban winery is a winery that does all their production on site in an urban setting, but they're still sourcing their grapes from vineyards uh, somewhere in that area or perhaps even further out. So uh, you want to keep in mind that the while the wine is being made on site, when you go to a tasting room like this or a winery like this, you're not going to see rows and rows and of hilly vines, right? They are also a natural wine producer, which is another thing that both Jules and I really love um, in wines and in the local wines here. So let's talk a little bit about their philosophy. They claim that their mission is to produce wines that exemplify San Diego, not only its terroir, but its cuisine, culture, and lifestyle. 
And on their website, they say we're small, independent, innovative, and care about everything we make. And I definitely think that's true. Um, they, they're not only winemakers, they're really invested in the community and in highlighting, you know, what San Diego has to offer in terms of wines. And, you know, a lot of people in who drink or know about San Diego wines are primarily focused on Temecula wines. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think now to like Escondido's getting a little play and things like that, but there are a lot of other great wine things happening in the County. You just have to be, I think a little bit more adventurous, um, and open up your mind to doing something like an urban wine tasting instead of sitting there with like the rolling Hills and stuff. So let's just do uh, a quick kind of vocabulary review on the natural issue here. So their wines from Charlie and Echo are made using only naturally occurring yeast and without any chemical interventions or corrections. So they're really taking the best of what the grape has to give and using that to form their wines. Now, because of that, you might see some inconsistencies from vintage to vintage. And that's really because they're focusing on what that grape and crop is yielding rather than shooting for a level of consistency. The other thing you're going to see is the level of production. Some years you have more grapes, other years you don't. Because they're only sourcing from particular vineyards, it's whatever that vineyard is yielding that they're going to use. Um, and their commitment to natural winemaking, I think, goes even beyond what they're putting in their bottles. So they are members of the 1% for the planet and give 1% of all their sales back to environmental causes. And they also work within their business to offset um, their carbon footprint of their wine. So they look, they work with exclusively locally grown grapes. They're not trucking grapes in from Northern California, Oregon, or Washington. They use low intervention winemaking techniques and source sustainable packaging and transport methods as much as possible. So they really are kind of walking the walk along with their philosophy of producing natural wines. Um, so what do we mean when we say local? Uh, in this case, it means that gr the grapes for all of their wines are sourced from San Diego County vineyards, which I think is pretty cool because you do have a lot of wines, uh, wineries, especially urban wineries, and not just here in San Diego, but kind of across the board, who are sourcing their grapes from, you know, far-reaching places. Yeah, Sonoma, Sonoma yeah. the Russian River Valley, um, up in Oregon, if they're making a Pinot, even some of like the boutique wineries in Napa, if they're doing Pinots, are getting their grapes from like the Oregon coast and stuff. So, you know, that all adds up in terms of a carbon footprint, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you've ever read or listened to Michael Pollan talk about like the carbon footprint of food and he tells this joke about like, we're buying cookies from the Danes and sending cookies to the Danes and sort of the economy of how food works in terms of transportation and how it travels. So Charlie and Echo is really trying to reduce that by working with local growers. And um, that also, I think, translates a little bit into the cost of what you're doing. Absolutely. Because for sure. they're not having to, first of all, buy grapes from more expensive producing areas. And then the cost of transportation obviously isn't there. So it's, it's also, it's a win-win yep. for, for everyone, I think. Especially like with inflation. <laughs> Yeah. That's going to be another episode. $100 to fill the tank the other day. Oh, that's fun. crazy. $6 here in California, guys. So, 
for those of you that live in places where the weather may not be as nice as it is in San Diego, but are not paying $6 for a gallon of gas, <laughs> in our faces, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go sit in your car and be warmer, whatever. <laughs> uh, but in addition to kind of sourcing and working locally, they're also, as I mentioned, invested members of the community. So they've partnered with the organization I Love a Clean San Diego to help protect local environmental causes. Um, and again, their whole philosophy of coupling old world winemaking techniques like those found in pet nats with modern aesthetics really matches, I think, the San Diego lifestyle and culture. You see so much of the the imprint of the history of this area in, you know, neighborhoods and in the architecture and in the names of streets. But San Diego is also, I think, a pretty kind of hip happening place on the cutting edge of a lot of different technological advances and stuff. And they've really embraced that that mixture in their winemaking practices. So I think they're doing some cool stuff there. And I love that they live in our neighborhood. Yes. <laughs> that was just sort of like a bonus. We didn't really know that going into choosing this particular wine for the episode. It was more that we kind of, as we dug around to find out more about it, we're like, we're like hey, wait, we know this dude. <laughs> this pickup point is like a five-minute walk away right. from where we live. Like, what's going on here? So... It was just sort of a bonus. <laughs> so we've got these two bottles that we're trying today, the 2019 and the 2020. And the reason we decided to do the two kind of mini lateral is, um, one, with a natural wine, you do get some variation between the years. You know, it depends on what the grape yield is, what the... Um, the the blend percentages are of the different varietals so we'll kind of get into that with both bottles and or then do you that's why we're tasting oh maybe yeah because okay. maybe there isn't right so i do think and which that one we tasted the 2020 at the tasting we room the 2020 in the tasting room but we noticed that they had the 2019 mm. and we thought oh let's do them side by side right. because i think also smaller producers natural wine you will taste a difference, whereas a bigger producer, mass producer, their whole sort of concept is consistency. consistency. Yep, for sure. And they they do alter the wine so that it tastes exactly the same from year to year, so the vintage doesn't really matter. Right. Whereas someone that's producing wine the way that Charlie and Echo is producing it has to work with obviously like what did the weather do that year, mm -hmm. and so what did the grapes do, and and like what's what's can you taste what happened that year in the wine that you're drinking. Right. And to Jules's point that she made, well, why change the tradition of having two bottles even if we're in the same place? So There was that as well. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> okay. So uh, the first bottle that we have is the 2019 Dark Star. Um, and this is from the Dulzura Vineyard in San Diego County, uh, or Dulzura area in San Diego County from the Valentina Vineyard. And it's a non-certified organic with zero herbicide and insecticide usage uh, for that vineyard. And just a quick note about certification when it comes to organic and what is, what isn't, what is natural, what isn't. Organic certification is something that comes through the federal government and the FDA. It is a very long process. It is a very expensive, expensive. process. Mm -hmm. And so, 
oftentimes you will find growers, and this is everything from, you know, grapes that end up in your wine glass to producers at your local farmer's market who may not have the cash flow or the time to go through all of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, Bureaucracy. Yeah, but yeah. they're still farming in these really um, environmentally friendly organic ways. It's just not going to show up on your on the label like it would on a nicely packaged pack of, I don't know, rice crackers from Whole Foods or some yeah. shit like that. So It just doesn't have that stamp on it right? necessarily. So keep that in mind um, when you're looking for wines. But the 2019 is a blend. Both of these are blends. And the 2019 is 32% Petite Syrah. (laughs) Get the EpiPen. (laughs) 32% Syrah, 25% Nebbiolo, and 11% Zin. And so these are some pretty heavy-hitting reds. But together... Their ABV for the bottle only is 11.7, which is is pretty low um, for a red wine. And I'm kind of excited about it. So Especially when with those varietals. Yeah, exactly. I feel like all those varietals are usually pretty bold. Syrahs, Nebulizins, yeah. High alcohol. They tend to be closer to like the 13, 14 mark for sure. Um, relatively small production, as Jules was mentioning. So the 2019 had a production of 217 cases. And this particular bottle was harvested between September 10th and 12th of 2019. And during the process, they're destemmed, but the grapes aren't crushed into top bins. And they do twice daily punch downs to make sure everything's, you know, getting nice and juicy in there. And they do what's called what they call spontaneous fermentation. Oh, it's not like spontaneous combustion. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. No, I think it's just like I have another um, one of my favorite producers who's up in Berkeley, also an urban winemaker. Like he calls this yeast feral yeast, and I think it's just like a fun way of saying like low intervention. Um, so. It is then done in uh, stainless steel tanks and sealed. So the wine becomes naturally carbonated as the fermentation process finishes. Okay. Uh, I do have some information about spontaneous fermentation. Oh, you do? Okay. This is fantastic. According to the Google, which is, you know, obviously, basically the be all end all of research. <laughs> Spontaneous fermentation is what happens when a brewer, a winemaker, or a distiller leaves inoculation, that is, the moment when yeast and bacteria come in contact with the liquid, up to whatever organisms happen to be in the air or on the fruit that they are fermenting. So, that low intervention, yeah, or no intervention. Natty as fuck is what we're hearing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, then, where was it? Okay, so naturally... In the tank, it's sealed so that it naturally um, forms a carbonation as the fermentation process is finishing. And so this particular bottle is then bottled in late May and early June of 2020. Um, and according to the tasting notes that Eric was kind enough to share with us, this particular bottle has notes of black pepper, being cherry, cherry, cedar, fig jam, charcoal, which that's interesting to me. I love the that it, the charcoal 
tar. It makes my mouth like water because that that's. I think that that's like one of the words that people use for minerality content, uh-huh. and I'm just like, oh, give it to me. But then that's followed by creamy <laughs> it's bubbles. Kind of podcast. Drama. I mean, it could be though. <laughs> We did open two bottles, so who knows? We could get crazy up in here. Okay, so uh, do you want to give it a a whirl? Yeah, let's Let's, do it. All right, so um, side by side, and we'll post pictures on the Instagram, these two match for color pretty, pretty well. I would say we've got like a... I would say the 20 is a little darker. A little darker? Not by much so. I mean, it's really, you'd have to be really staring at it. But they're kind of a bright ruby. They're a really pretty mm-hmm. color. Oh, ruby, that's such a good description for this. It's not just red, guys. It's, it's not it's just red. ruby red. It reminds me of Dorothy's slippers from The Wizard oh, of Oz. Oh. Yeah. And also because it's sparkly because it has bubbles. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, See? I'm into it. Okay, so let's give it a whiff. What are you getting on the nose? I definitely get the black pepper. Mm-hmm. It's... I... I Remember at the tasting room, do you remember when I said I literally feel like I just opened up a bag of black pepper and like inhaled a little bit? I had almost like that <laughs> right. sneezing, you were gonna a sneeze. little bit of like, oh, I might sneeze. <laughs> and it wasn't the petite Sirox. I hadn't even tried it yet. It was really, truly just smelling it. What else? I get a little bit of that charcoal, too, that they mentioned in the tasting notes. I'm not getting that. I'm not going to say that I'm getting it just because it makes me sound smarter, but. what One of the things I'm not getting, though, is a lot of fruit. It's not striking me as super fruit forward no. on the nose. Mm-hmm. Almost like a little bit of like saltiness, too, like sea salt. Hmm. So salt and pepper. Yeah. Salt and pepper. Oh, I was thinking potato chips. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking the duo, the dynamic duo. Well, we know you like the whistle stop. All right. 90s versus 90s, baby. Okay. All right, let's give it a taste. Yeah. You know what I love about this style of wine? So this is very, to me, very similar to like a Lambrusco. Yeah, absolutely. Which is an Italian red sparkling wine. Is that it has a very different mouthfeel than like champagne like the bubbles are different it's like this effervescence that sort of like coats your whole mouth versus just these like bubbles that kind of go straight to your head right i think we talked about it with the kava episode it's like oh i feel this sort of like lightness (laughs) it's not that it's it's a little bit heavier in the mouth and like full mouth coating of the bubbles and it's just really lovely i do like this style of wine a lot yeah, there's definitely more depth to it. Um, certainly that effervescence gives it almost like a little bit of a pop rock feel. Mm-hmm. Um, not not that intense, obviously, but you definitely get those little tongue tingles. Uh, and this is, I think, a great example of those differences between, you know, wines that really show a difference between the nose and the taste. Because mm-hmm. on the palate, I do get a lot of fruit. I get... Um, cherry and raspberry and blueberry like those you know the dark, dark berry yep, yeah late mm-hmm. summer fruits yeah um and i don't get that same 
scent. Like, I don't get the peppery, like, the spiciness necessarily. I am uh, getting the spiciness. I you, can actually okay. feel it in my mouth. Like, Are you sure it's this? not just the petite sera? I, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Give me one of your colored pens. I need to start taking notes. What would that That'd be, like, red. Yeah, red you, want the red, you want the red pen. Um, and this is the moment where Jules passed out. Like, like, a little bit of, a little bit of fieriness in my mouth. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I definitely get the minerality mm-hmm. for sure. It's not sweet. Mm-mm. So I think for people wondering like, oh, a red sparkling wine, is it really sweet? It's not sweet. It's delightful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's delicious. Really nice. This is, okay, I won't get into the parents. I don't want to jump the gun. But um, yeah, it's got some nice weighted body to it, but it doesn't feel overly heavy. Um, well, it's what did what did we say? It's eleven point seven seven percent alcohol. So it's it's or eleven point four. Seven or four? Seven. Yeah, for the twenty nineteen. So it definitely it it feels a little it feels a little heavier than that though. It does, yeah. I like I can actually I'm starting to feel a little I mean, okay, truth be told, we have been sipping on it for a few minutes, not yeah. just the one sip. I mean they, I can definitely feel a little like woo. Our listeners know who we it's are. Gonna be, it's going to be a great afternoon in San Diego. We uh, don't get wine drunk. Woohoo! Because that's so different from any other day. It's definitely not different from last night. Let me tell you that. Uh, but yeah, I I enjoy it. I yep. I think it's got some good fruit on it. I think it has like that nice nice medium light body to it. Um, it can definitely stand up to a meal. You know, yes. a lot of times people do bubbles like before a meal or after, yeah, or at or, the end, yeah. but you could definitely have this with food for sure. Yeah. And we'll get to that. Drea, why don't you tell us a little bit about the second bottle, which is the 2020 Dark Star. So the 2020 Dark Star is the one we actually tried when we had our brainchild to get two bottles of the same wine. Um, so there are a lot of consistencies here. So again, it's from the Dulzura area, Valentina Vineyard, just like the 2019. But the mix on this one is, is quite a bit different. Very different. Yeah. So this one has 42% Nebbiolo, 21% Zin. And that combination already is like making my ears perk up mm-hmm. a little bit. It's kind of a bomb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 20% Petite Syrah and 17% Syrah. But get this, the ABV, despite that Nebbiolo's Infidel bomb, is only 11.4 as opposed to the 11.7 mm-hmm. of the 2019, which mm-hmm. I find fascinating. This was also um, a lower yield production. So there were only 106 cases of the 2020 um, instead of the 217 so that 2019. Yeah, yeah, that 29. And, you know, just to remind everyone, California is currently entrenched in a drought. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't able to find information about the farming, um, but I am willing to bet that Dulzura and Valentina in particular do dry farming primarily. And with these varietals like Syrah, Petite Syrah, Nebbiolo, um, a lot of them lend themselves really well to dry farming because they're such hardy grapes. And what that does is it makes the rootstock of the vine dig deep into the soil to search for water. And 
the the plus side is is it soaks up your your grapes and soak up all that minerality from that deep trenched rootstock. The bad part is you have lower production yield because you you it's a drier climate, right? You're they're not getting the same irrigation. Um, but a lot of winemakers prefer this method because it yields stronger flavors in the grapes. So I would guess that this is a dry farm vineyard. And also because we live in a drought. Yeah. Yeah, we're constantly in a drought. <laughs> By necessity. It's also sort of like a necessity of how to farm here is to figure out how can we do things with less water. Right. Because we don't have water. <laughs> we are parched. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and this one's an interesting process. So some of the grapes, the grapes are harvested and destemmed um, in late August of 2020. And the Syrah and the Petite Syrah get crushed, but the Nebbiolo and the Zin do not. So those are then whole grape fermented in the tank, which I find like fascinating. Um, when we visit Eric again, we're going to have to ask what the, what the intent was or why that decision was made, because I'm super intrigued by it. Eric, we have questions. We have so many questions. They're good questions though. Yeah. Not, uh, not bachelorette. Not bachelorette questions. We promise. Um, and so I, I found, and again, spontaneous fermentation, um, which Jules filled us in on. We all know what that <laughs> we is We all now. know what it is now. The more you know. <laughs> And then this is when stuff gets like interesting. So small amounts of the juice from this mix, just mi- mixture was drawn off and kept chilled to form a sweet reserve for later. Hmm. And so it goes through like this fermentation cycle, right? And then in December, they combined that fermented wine with the sweet reserve and transferred it into a stainless steel tank and sealed for the natural carbonation as the fermentation finished. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's we we I don't think we've talked about this too much on the podcast, but a lot of producers, especially like mass producers, right? People who like the two buck chucks of the world where they are producing a massive number of bottles to be consumed widely. They will blend wines before bottling and during the tank to, again, get that consistency and get the flavors right. So if something is way too acidic, they will add something with sugars in it to balance the wine out and make, frankly, to make it drinkable, right, at that price point. Um, This is not a case like that, though, and I really want to make sure that we understand the distinction. So this is juice that is coming from the same grapes, from the same harvest, from the same winemaking process. They're just treating part of them a little bit different and then reintroducing them during that fermentation process. Mm. And so it's a natural way to kind of balance out those flavor profiles. Uh, And probably because this is such like a heavy hitter when it comes to like the Nebbiolo and the, the, the Zen Fendel. And yeah. if you drink, if you've ever had San Diego wines, especially from like the Temecula area, um, they, lo- they love their big, bold red varietals. They love Italian varietals. The climate isn't especially suited for them though. So they tend to be kind of harsh. Um, so this actually makes 
really interesting sense. And mm-hmm. but I've never heard of like this type of process to do it. So um And it'd be really interesting just to find out what the thinking was behind how they produced the 2019 or the process for the 2019 versus the 2020 because it was fairly different. Yeah, it's very different. And then we'll find out soon how that translates in the glass. <laughs> in the glasses, exactly. Well, so according to the tasting notes, this particular vintage has notes of dark plum, red cherry, black and green peppercorns, tar, and creamy bubbles. There's that tar again. Okay. Well, it's charcoal in the 2019. Charcoal. Tar in this one. Okay, so. And I do think that we tried this one at the tasting room, and this is making sense to me that it's the black and green peppercorns and why I felt like. Pepper. Almost like I had to sneeze. Right. When I, when I sniffed it. Hadn't tried it yet. And then color-wise, I think you're, this does have a slightly darker. Just a little bit. A little bit, like, more. Not brown, but a little bit more of that tawny, like, a ruby port color. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's see if we, we take a whiff if we can recreate your tasting room. Well, achoo! No, <laughs> the most polite of sneezes. I'm not, I'm not getting that today. Probably because we just had the 2019, but I definitely remember that experience. See, I get tasting. more of the pepper... On this one? On this one, on the nose. And a little bit more fruit, I have to say. Like, I'm, I'm getting a little bit more of that, like, cherry note on the nose. Yeah, I think this one, on the nose, you can actually detect a couple of different things. Whereas the 2019, I think it was just sort of like an overall, like it was hard to sort of like pull out an mm-hmm. individual yeah. component. I agree. This one is a little bit easier to say, okay, I... I I do, I do notice this, and I do notice this. And that's not just the wine talking. It well, <laughs> maybe it could, it could be. Wine makes you smarter. All right, do you want to take a sip? Oh, I just did. Sorry. <laughs> I can't leave you unsupervised for a minute. <laughs> no. Nope. All right, where are you getting? I'm. Definitely getting the peppercorns. Yeah, this one's more pronounced on getting, the palate. Yeah, yeah, I for am sure. getting that. Um, I would say I'm getting more of the cherry. Like there, it's, it's not that it's sweet compared to the 2019, and it's not sweet in itself. But there's a little bit more of that fruitiness. To I it. think the fruit flavor on this one has more depth for sure. Yeah. I can pick like, you know, the I think the 2019 was a little bit more like summer berry surprise, whereas this one I'm getting kind of that much deeper fruit that I would, mm-hmm. that frankly I would associate with a, a, a Syrah, I mean not a Syrah, a Zin or a Nebbiolo, like mm-hmm. that dark, dark plum, yeah. um, certainly like blackberry in there a little bit too, kind of more of the black summer fruits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. It's, I, it's delicious though. It's, it's excellent. I would say the tasting notes are on point and I usually try to not look at tasting notes for wine because I want to see like what what do I yeah same what am I what am I getting from this and does it line up with what they their intention maybe is or what they're getting but we all and I think we've talked about this before just your the way that you taste wine is very referential to 
other things, right? Absolutely. So like if you don't under, if you've never had a plum, a plum or a red cherry, then it's not going to mean anything to you, and you're going to come up with a different way to describe what you're tasting. Absolutely, it's so sensory, and yeah. this also reminds me of that line from the English Patient where he says, "This is a very plum plum." <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that was my. There favorite. she goes. Everyone. <laughs> Just... I, I can't. <laughs> I can't help myself. I can't help myself. My, I don't know how you remember these things. My PhD is in literature. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is all starting to make sense. I love narrative. Okay. So, um, let's, so let's talk about pairing. Oh, well, I was going to ask you a question first. Oh, okay. Though. So which one is your favorite? I have to say, I think I like the 19 better. Really? So I think I like the 20 better. Well, I guess we know what you're taking home and what I'm keeping at my house. That makes it easy. She's and such... it's not a, oh, I don't like this one. Right. No, exactly. It's like if Preference. I had to sort of decide which one, and I'm also sort of thinking about when when am I drinking this and what do I want to be doing, what do I want to be eating, and I'm like, my head is going towards the 19. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about pairings. All things. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So um, we're. Kind of switching up our pairings a little bit mm-hmm. and streamlining them. Still the same great content, all new look. And we're really focusing on... Season two. <laughs> season two. Three categories. So food, situation, and entertainment, right? Yes. Those are kind of the three things that I think we both associate with wine. So we are both foodies who love to eat, love to cook. Um, we're extroverted. We like to be social and be out. And we also love a good book. Love new experiences. So, yeah. And we both like stuff. We like art. We like music. We like books. Um, mm-hmm. So we thought this will be a good way to kind of categorize our pairings so that there's something for everyone. And I know you said you worked hard on your pairings. And as you all know, I never prepare for these things. Yeah, I'm so I like, bad I like at this. I think about things ahead of time. And I was telling Drea the reason I do it is because I feel like if I didn't think about it ahead of time and she asked me, you know, what what would you be doing or what would you be eating with this? I'd be like a deer in headlights. And I would be like, uh, frozen pizza. Uh, at my desk. I don't know. You know, so I really like to think about, okay, this having not had the wine in front of me and I was thinking about it, it's just sort of like the style of the wine. Fair. Where do I see myself? Fair, fair. So why don't you tell us what food you would like to be eating with this wine? Yeah, you know, what I really like about these wines is they are interesting but still accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, they are playful and fun, but they still have a depth that they can stand up to a pretty hearty meal. And one of the things I absolutely love is a good sandwich. So, um, and you know, this is also wine that, especially on a weekend, I wouldn't hesitate to pop open like during the middle of the day type Mm -hmm. thing. If we're just kind of chilling out at home or we're going to make some sandwiches for brunchy type stuff. So I was thinking, I made a BLT the other week, that was just like amazing. It oh, had this would be really good, right? Like it had like sourdough bread. Yeah, it had sourdough bread from, from the Rose Sister. from Secret Sister at the Rose. The Rose's bakery. It had uh, pesto. It had oh, aged yeah. cheddar. It had heirloom tomatoes, arugula. It was delicious. So um, I could or 
my forever love an Italian sub. But yeah, I would with sandwich. I think yeah. this would be good. Nice big hearty sandwich. We kind of went in similar directions. I went lighter. So I I'm thinking you know, finger food light appetizers and we're actually sitting here with some uh bruschetta with artichoke and fresh basil and some parmesan and some blood orange um olive oil on the bread. So Jules is so good to me. I <laughs> I would I would pair this with some traditional bruschetta, like on you know Ugh. a baguette, some olive oil, some tomato, basil, not so much the cheese because it's not really my jam, and then a little bit of balsamic vinegar. I think would Ooh, be really yeah. nice. Would pair really nicely with this. Honestly, so basically carbs. Yeah, the bread is our base. <laughs> you know, I love a and Christine. Then we pile some, yeah, just pile, pile stuff a little on bit of, uh, veggies and maybe some sort of uh, you know uh, cold cut. Situation. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Done. Solid. These are solid food options for us. And easy. Yep. Yeah. This is that's the other thing I like about this wine too is it's it's interesting but it's not fussy and you know i i think jules and i both come from the same frame of mind and this is something i've really tried to make clear on the the podcast that wine should be fun it should be accessible it should not be fussy it should not be for a select few um it should we should be able to enjoy it and talk about it and explore it in ways that make sense to us and kind of our points of reference so yeah anything with bread is apparently our point of reference (laughs) All right, so what what are you what activity or situation are you engaging in or with as you sip on this guy? So two two sort of situations. Well, one situation came to mind when I was thinking about this, but another one just came to mind as we're as we're chatting. So the first one would be just sunset, going towards sunset. So sort of that late afternoon where the sun is still warm. You're sitting outside just like on my back patio with these little, you know, bruschetta or a sandwich, just, you know, just chilling, just super relaxed, like nothing fussy, nothing overly uh, sort of produced. But then the other thing that came to mind was sort of like a, um, a a picnic, right? Going to the park with picnic materials and food and just putting a blanket out and enjoying a really nice day and popping this open because I feel like you don't need a special glass to drink this out Mm -hmm. of you know you can take your picnic glasses and just sit and just enjoy being outside and also the natural nature of how the wine was produced and being you know in a park and sort of like enjoying the fresh air and the sunshine yeah I love I always love a a good park picnic I love that we live so close to Balboa Park Um, and I know John, and I like to go and just like hang out and troll around and have our to go wine cups. Troll around or <laughs> stroll around? A little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both. <laughs> a little Billy Gro- Gruff situation going okay. on here. Um, yeah, you know, the other thing I was thinking about too is this is very much like a spring appropriate wine, right? Yes. We just yeah. had, so we just had the Equinox not too far from this recording time signs of spring are definitely afoot the weather is starting to warm up but i noticed like when i walk the dog in the morning and in the evening 
there's that still like chill in the air that I really like. Yeah. There's a little bit of fog. I'm like, how long can I hold on to this gloriousness? But, um, yeah. How long is it till Drea starts bitching about the weather being too hot? I, as you know, if you listen, the weather is my least favorite thing about everything. It's either too hot or too cold. I want, I live in San Diego where it's, temperate you know I pay a lot of money for it to be between 69 and 71 degrees constantly wow that's a really narrow yeah you're all welcome okay I like what I like but um this is I think this is a really friendly transitional red you know if especially if you're primarily a red wine drinker which I used to be solely a red wine drinker and let me tell you those summer months fucking hard because if you're yeah. used to and I like the big boys I like a Zin I like a cab I like a Syrah like if you're used to sipping on those throughout the late fall and winter any let's be honest like even then in Southern California there are days where you're just like well this is it's fun. a little too yeah. hot yeah because <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way I love the big reds and I'm not a white wine drinker necessarily I do like rosé and I like bubbles mm-hmm. so that's great for summer but this to me is a great we're gonna turn her everyone <laughs> red wine drinkers to transition into the warmer weather and still feel like i'm still drinking my red wine i don't have to start fussing around with finding a white wine that i can enjoy or you know rosé i love i love a rosé i love a rose i know you day, do but there's times where it's like it's just, i just can't it's I just, too much yeah it's yeah. too much um so, but I was actually thinking of this wine too for Easter. Easter's coming oh, up. Um, Easter brunch. Yep. My family is a big lot of Spanish Mexican Catholics. So we make a big deal at Easter, do a ham and the whole thing. Uh, and this wine would be amazing with Easter dinner, Easter brunch. Uh, I just think it's going to lend itself really well to, to that period in April. So is your entertainment just sitting back and watching your family duke it out at Easter? Is oh, that, no. Is that the entertainment pairing that we're going to get? When I say family, I mean my mom, my dad, and sometimes my husband and mostly okay. my dog. Yeah. Okay. And they're all fine. Got it. Okay. <laughs> no one's fighting in that lot. They're okay. just, unless it's like, what are we drinking? I want this. I want this. I want that. Um, and I'm the only one who's like pouring or making anything. But uh, uh, no, the I would say like entertainment... <laughs> So, actually, the books I'm reading right now would be really fun for these. I am reading a book called The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. And um, she's written a couple of different books. And they're all kind of these weird, sort of supernatural, mystery-type psychological thriller novels with a slight, like, humorous edge to them. And they're fun. They're fun. They're easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that th- this wine would pair really well with that. I would also drink the shit out of this watching all the Harry Potter movies. Okay. <laughs> that's really specific. And that's totally different from my, from my <laughs> entertainment pairing. So my entertainment pairing for this particular wine would be tapping my toes to some live music. Nice. So an afternoon, you're outside, but the kind of situation where the music is like in the background, it's not, Ooh. you're not just sitting watching a band, it's 
there's live music, but you can still engage with the people that you're hanging out with. So a concert in the park, going nice. back to sort of the picnic idea where the music is there and you can sit and watch the band. The Spreckles or, Organ Theater? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Or Bird Park concerts when they oh, okay, have, yeah. I really miss those. But, you know, where you can just still be social and talk to the people that you're hanging out with and be present to them, but also have this entertainment going on in the background and enjoying this really nice wine with some good picnic food. Yeah, I'm into it. Let's do it. Let's go. All right, so I think you all have some solid pairings to get you started as you're enjoying this bottle. So Jules, where can they purchase this wine? So this wine can be purchased, obviously, directly from Charlie and Echo, and their website is charlieandecho.com. If you are local in San Diego, uh, we mentioned earlier that you can do a pickup uh, at their house here in South Park, so you don't have to go anywhere. You could just walk the dog and pick up your wine from their front porch, I think. Awesome. So definitely get out there and support them. They're a rad uh, local for us producer. And we had a great time at their tasting room. So uh, let them know that you heard it on Two Girls and a Grape first. And for our next bottle, we are featuring a Syrah from 16600, one of Jules's favorite um, producers up in Sonoma. Sonoma, yeah. And I don't think we've done a Sonoma wine. So this because I avoid that shit like the plague normally. So this well, is going to be here exciting. I am. <laughs> here comes Hurricane Jules. I love it. With her crazy wine clubs. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And if you have recommendations for us or would like to see us feature a particular wine, please follow us on Instagram. We're at two girls and a great pod. That's T-W-O girls and a great pod. Um, Slide into those DMs with your recommendations. We are also available on our email at two great two girls and a great pod at gmail.com. So check us out. Yeah. And until next time. Salute. Salute.